This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, an all-in-one website creation and hosting platform that allows you to make your own website, blog, portfolio, or online store. Check it out at squarespace.com and use the promo code THUMBS for 10% off. You could replace that or with an and and make multiple things. That's true. Now I, let's just get all the wacky pre-roll out of the way. <laughs> ba, 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 ba. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, jokes. Oh. Whoa. Oh, hey. I'm hey. going to miss that old theme song, Chris, that we're going to listen to the full version of right now. Oh, true. February 25th, 2014, and I, man, I thought I had something to say. It involved the seat of my pants. I was going to try and talk about how this episode was being done by the seat, the collective seats of our pants. The collective seat, you mean. People very frequently misuse that Oh, you're right. The collective seat of our pants. Yes. We share one seat, and this episode is being done by it. By it. Yes, this is Idle Thumbs 199. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. Yeah, we're saving all of the like the quality, like high production, high concept, <laughs> like no one knows what crazy guests are going to come on and stuff for episode 200. The all singing, all dancing, uh, Idle Thumbs. Normal episode. I mean, I mean, uh, 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 yeah. This week, we are all in the midst of prepping for GDC, which is next week. And uh, Sean and Chris and I are all working on a demo for Firewatch, the game we've been working on. So it's made things a little bit insane this mm-hmm. week. Um, but now I guess we're, it's just Chris and I hanging out here. Uh, yeah, it's been a long time since it was just you and me on a podcast. I I think that it was like um, earlier today on Twin Peaks Rewatch, in fact. Okay. It was just you and I on a Good podcast. Fine. No, I think there was like <laughs> one episode of Idle Thumbs yeah, that we, we did. I think we did one with just the two of us. And people said it sounded like an awkward date, so we yeah. never did well, it we again. We so much more practice now because of all the Twin, the Twin Peaks <laughs> That's stuff. That's true. I didn't think about that, but we're actually probably better at this than we were like three years ago or whenever we did the last one. Yeah, but now that we're talking about it, we've ruined it. I know. Um, Uh, Anyway, so... We might be... Ideally, we're going to be joined by Sean a little bit here. At some point, yeah, whenever he gets back. Um, So, I played some Besiege this week. I know that you also played that. I only played... You talked about it already. I just like touched Besiege and it just broke everything repeatedly and was just terrible at it. Yeah. Um, And meant to get back to it, but I've just... I was... um, the game that I'm working on turns out to be a besieged analogy, but it is the crazy, horrible contraption that keeps breaking <laughs> and running over me. Right. So um, instead of playing besiege, I was besieged. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I mainly wanted to bring it up just to sort of challenge your assertion that this game doesn't have the potential in it to, appro- to sort of approach 
um, Kerbal Space Program. Oh, one so, thing to that point, what a lot of people said is the most close analogy is, mm-hmm. um, I think it's, is it Ratchet and Clank? Nuts oh, and bolts. Yeah, which yeah, is yeah. That, is the that, one is where you make the vehicles. Yeah, 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 where you can make flying and moving uh-huh. cars out of like Man, square snap ca- together bricks. It does it's, kind of feel like that. It seems very close to that. But you're going to say that the majesty of Kerbal's available. Is it because of that gif of the guy being like spun over a Rube Goldberg machine That's and then launched into space on so, balloons? So real quick, this game, Besiege, <laughs> if you didn't, if you don't already know what it is, or if you didn't hear us talk about it last week, this is a 3D uh, build building game in which you construct like powered machinery in a sort of medieval setting um, to lay siege to to whatever your target is in each level you play. And so you combine blocks and gears and wheels and propulsion and weaponry and armor uh, and all the connective kind of blocks and and braces and supports that tie it all together. Like weird springs and inflatable things Mm -hmm. and all sorts of stuff. Like wings and bombs and flamethrowers and cannon and all kinds of stuff. And it it starts off feeling very simple. You kind of just bolt some blocks and some wheels together and then roll forward. Uh, but pretty quickly, within the first few of the guided campaign levels, it already st- – even on like level three or four, you're already constructing things that feel like beyond your ability to like immediately predict how they will work and if they will work and whether they will fall apart and what exactly yes. they will do. And people have made absolutely crazy stuff already, including a machine that Jake started to describe. That tortures one guy? Yes. It's like – so generally in this game, what you're trying to do is sort of spread destruction, you know, to take out a bunch of guys. destroy a building or kill kill a bunch of guys or But there's also an object called the grabber that just reaches out and grabs whatever is in its path, regardless of what kind of thing it is. And someone made a machine that reaches out and grabs, in this case, a guy – and it puts the guy onto basically a conveyor belt of torture and dismemberment. That's just like the the hand grabs him and then like feeds it to a to puts it in a place that he gets like sawed and sawed and then pounded, set on fire, pounded, like yeah, set on fire, like shot with a cannon at point blank range, a uh, flame. <laughs> and then the final thing, he just attaches a bunch of balloons to him yeah. and floats him away. <laughs> it floats him away and then explodes. <laughs> it's it's really good. Yeah, people have made some completely outrageous things to the point that. It totally feels to me like with enough time, the community could make some absolutely crazy level. Okay, sorry. What I was trying to say is, I think that I think people will be able to make incredibly elaborate, grandiose is a good word, constructions with it. But I think just I don't think that it's ever going to capture anything near the sort of majestic feeling yeah, of just triumph that you get from Kerbal. It's like, you bring a guy onto a planet, true. he hops out of a ship, you can control him around to a structure that you've deployed, and then send him back to another yeah. planet. Like that's, No, it's true. There's a level of scale that would be impossible to capture yeah, in this but game. But in terms of just actual insane... involves planets. In, yeah, insane war machines or Rube Goldberg machines, just like, the level of sort of insane machination that someone can make in Besiege yeah. is already mm-hmm. impressive. That's totally true. In a way, it's like... In a way, it's sort of... The, the um, conveyor belt Rube Goldberg destruction machine kind of points to one – at least one way that um, Besiege can be – that is different than Kerbal and that Kerbal – and I'm sure you, you could definitely make exceptions in either game to disprove what I'm saying. But probably the games are inclined towards Kerbal being grandiose on the grand scale where with – whereas um, – uh, Besiege, at least currently, seems to be more grandiose on the smaller, more specific scale. Where, yeah. like, within the confines of this, like, little canvas, 
you can complete you can like make totally larger than life things in besiege whereas in kerbal the grandest thing you can do is to span spaces that make your extraordinary achievement like humbled in comparison right, like in right? Besiege, like you I go guess, to the moon and you're like oh my god like, i guess I one like thing. one could conceivably have a giant flying machine in besiege that you then press a button that deploy six independent smaller flying machines <laughs> that all use the same inputs yeah. like you could do all you could do yeah. weird weird stuff with that game well and i think i've already seen people do stuff in besiege that is basically a like a kerbal rocket with staged boosters and stuff like right. that like that's already a thing people have somehow done with this game and i'm sure that if that the creators of besiege are stoked beyond belief to see yep. the stuff people are making with this because as a game developer that's always the stuff that you're you kind of like hope someone might do but you could never possibly like right. design around or like right plan for because people like with enough people playing the game they will always do things that are crazier and way more ambitious than anything you yep. could ever possibly think of to do yeah it's anyway, cool. it's really cool. And it's also very beautiful. It's a really nice looking game, as is Kerbal for that. Yeah, matter. I tried hard to describe it last week, and it's tough to describe, but it just it just looks nice. It's yeah. just for a game that is actually like the actual like objective content and the thing that you things that you build are just dirty and kind of you know look like game assets. Despite that fact, the game feels just like clean, like just pristine. Yeah, it does. It it's feels really, really cool. Yeah, that's totally true. Um, except it also has just like jets of blood spraying. Yeah, and the, it's all about sort of the yeah. contrast of that stuff, just like exactly, splattering yeah. on the just like against the, the really the perfect white or exactly, like light gray, yeah. like cl- like just that. Clean Visually, it almost floor. looks like an Anno game or something, and that kind of like tilt shift miniature yep. medieval world that's very cleanly created. Yeah, but then it's living inside of like what the Assassin's Creed user interface wishes that it was, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um. Another difference i guess between this and the uh ratchet and clank nuts and bolts game and that that game is so set up around creating vehicles that is really easy to work within the sort of like realm of vehicle whereas besiege obviously like right from the start has a broader canvas that you can paint on which is cool in one way because people make these like crazy machines um but on the other hand it also makes it harder to just like quickly get the thing you have in your brain up and running yep. because you have to do all the legwork, you know, each, yeah. each from scratch each time, but it's really cool. And I, I, I'm glad that I put, a, I'm glad that I spent, you know, a few hours with it. Um, even though it is daunting just as Kerbal is, I mean, you start playing a game like this and for the game to be any good, it almost has to be daunting yeah. at the beginning because the thing that makes it cool is the total like area of the possibility space. Yeah. And when that's big enough, once you start sort of understanding the fundamentals of how to brace things together yeah. and stuff, so that your structures hold together, it's you know what would be cool. Can can you make prefabs in any of these games? Can you make prefabs in Kerbal or this game or anything? Where you I just, don't know. That would be, be nice awesome. if you're just like this is my preferred like the chassis chassis for like a single like or two axle thing with yeah. one with a steering column or whatever, and yeah. then you're just being able to drag that out. I don't think you can, but that would be awesome. That would be great. Yeah, being huh. able to like shift select all that stuff and then save here's it my like weapons platform. Save to a shelf. You know what yeah. that reminds me of? You know what this all reminds me of? Actually, so did you ever play Captain Forever? No. You know what that is? Nope. Captain Forever is a is an online. Um, I guess it's a flash game. I forget what it's programmed in, but um, that Australian developer Farbs, who I think used to work for Irrational or uh, 2K Australia, like way back in the day, this Australian wing of former Australian wing of Irrational. Um, I remember quit his job ages ago. He's the one who made that. I, I'm just making stuff up now. This could be wrong. I think he made that game Rom Check Fail. You remember that? The game that was a crazy like mashup remix of yeah. a ton of 8-bit games. 
Um, anyway, he has been doing indie games since then. And um, yeah, that's Farbs. Farbs made that. Okay, cool. So he made this other game that I think is his most successful game to date called Captain Forever, which is a very graphically simplistic um, uh, 2D game where you go around in space, starting with this tiny little spaceship, and you bl- and all the spaceships in the game are made up of equally sized, like one by one blocks. Right. And you, as you blow up other spaceships, they all their components explode and just float around in space. So you can you can and you can just up? graph them onto your ship, and you so as you're flying around shooting other ships, they're all blowing up, and you're just slowly. Do you accumulate them just by they touch you and snap on? Yeah, you just like well, you like grab them and drag them onto your ship. Oh, okay. But you have to be close to them to do that. Yeah. And like, and uh, the game also just weirdly has like a huge amount of lore, kind of secretly built into it in a way that's cool, not lame, because it's so backgrounded and so right. subtle. Um, it's just a really cool, weird, like sort of fractal like game, you know, and mm-hmm. it's it's really awesome. Anyway, my friend Dean Tate who made a game called uh, who who also used to work for Rational and who made a game called Captain Bubble Knot for for iOS and Android that I did the music for. Uh, he is making what he calls a remix of Captain Forever called Captain Forever Remix, uh, and uh, it's just a like m- more modern, updated version of Captain Forever with like kind of the style of two D art that's kind of popular now that kind of evokes something like. Have you ever seen that? Um, board game battle wizards uh, <laughs> no like almost ve- like sort of adventure timey maybe but like okay w- but um a little more gritty than that anyway whatever it's like, like a- getting into like like this like scott pilgrim or like the black metal comics or something yeah something like that okay kind of, kind of in that general like broad ballpark range okay and um and anyway it's just basically the same game underneath uh although it's re i'm sure it's recoded um but it it reminds me of of these games that we're talking about because of this like ongoing accru like creating your this game is different in that it's like pers- you persistently accrue more right but it has that same feeling of like taking these little blocks right. and then suddenly you've got this like incredibly impressive thing. So does that game like, is the intent behind that like are each are each of the blocks in Captain Forever self contained or do you actually chain things together to construct a weapons array or things like that? Like how does it work uh, exactly? Each thing is like a, so like. A block is either a gun or a piece of hull or a booster okay. or whatever. And like, so if you, but if there's some method to your madness, you can construct a thing that looks more like a functional ship, yeah, 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 or you totally. can just have a fucking garbage pile flying around just right, spewing right. lasers. And of course, out of the like sides. because you're just grabbing stuff, it's really easy, especially as it becomes bigger, to start getting asymmetrical. Right. And then, like, if you fire your jets, it's it's smart in how it does it. Right. Like if you align a jet facing. Um, ninety degrees, right. misaligned from the like right. Then you'll just turn, ship. right? Well, that, then it just becomes a turning. It becomes a turning thruster jet, right? Okay. So yeah, when yeah. you hit the left or right, oh, um, oh that's really cool. The, yeah, yeah. It's it's really awesome. It's really smart. Um, and when you fire, they all fire. Uh, you, but you could point them backwards and point them sideways and forwards. Right. And, uh, it it just keep going and you just keep making your crazy thing. That's it's, cool. It's man. really fun. Um, and he just released, I think, a new trailer for it, the Captain Forever remix. Um. And I, I, I just ran into Dean in Seattle the other day and I remembered he's making this cool thing. And I remembered playing the original game, uh, which I think got a fair amount of pickup for, for a web game. And um, it reminded me of this other stuff. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. 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 The other game I played. <laughs> sorry. Should I just go? I don't know. I can just, just go. I mean, I, I haven't been playing a ton this week. Yeah, so that's, that's fine. I, I hadn't. And then, and then 
in the last like we're late recording oh you've been playing darkest dungeon you've been playing the hell out of darkest Dungeon. i have it's really good it's okay really good darkest dungeon is a game that i completely forgot about i played it at pax um weirdly this game seems to just like coincide with whenever we're crunching for on firewatch because the last time i played this game was at like physically at pax when we presented right our first demo of firewatch and like now we're preparing our <coughs> second and first playable demo of firewatch and i'm playing darkest dungeon um and i hadn't played it at all in the interim i didn't even i i well uh, when when firewatch is shown you look at complete. darkest dungeon and when firewatch is playable you play darkest dungeon <laughs> that's true yes when firewatch is done i will finish darkest dungeon you will become darkest I dungeon <laughs> Um, so I downloaded it and played it and it's so good. I like it a lot. It is a, um, 2d like RPG, I guess. Uh, it borrows a lot from other games, but I've never played a game that is in total of this format and with these exact mechanics in this combination. Whenever I look at the game and you see you playing it, I can't discern what's going on because it just always looks like a close up of like five characters. Like even just the presentation of it. Yes, is so is different than a lot of other games exactly. because like the characters are closer on screen than they would be in an adventure game. They're way closer on screen than they would be in most RPGs, other than 3D stuff. Like mm-hmm. it just it looks it has a strange look. Yeah, to it. it does, and it's also because of that it allows it a very spe- unusual art style for a video game, especially an RPG, which is this like hand drawn 2D sprites, I guess, but they're huge characters yeah. on screen. And they have a really, really bold inked style that looks like a comic book. It looks like a really boldly drawn, almost woodcut style comic book yeah. thing that you couldn't do with smaller characters because the lines would be it, Everything would just bleed just, together, yeah, whereas exactly. with this you can actually just, have really fat lines on mm-hmm, stuff. Yeah, it looks yeah, really cool. It looks great. And um, so you basically, almost Diablo-like in structure, you take a party of characters... That's not. What am I talking about Diablo? Like, I don't know why I said that. I guess I'm just thinking that because it has. That oh, what every game kind of like, is like Diablo and Idle <laughs> Thumbs. Ugh. Oh God, you're right. What did we call Divin- Sean called Divinity or something? Yeah, Diablo. just pre- because of the same thing. Where so it just it has a party yeah. selection screen that is ev- ev- right. Well, and in the course of this game, it's also like a sort of gothic fantasy thing where you're going, you're repeatedly delving down into these like right, and it takes place in a Diablo universe. That's true. It is an officially a Diablo game. It is actually called Diablo Darkest Dungeon. It's called Diablo's God, Darkest Dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> that just sounds like the Facebook's social spinoff. Yeah, God, of, Diablo Darkest <laughs> Diablo Dungeon Darkest is Dungeon. actually just the you're matching three, and then in the background, a guy is kind of fighting somewhere. <laughs> um. So this this game, you have a party of four. Whenever you descend into the dungeon, into the darkest dungeon, um, the so so far only the darkest dungeon is available. The kind of like slightly dark dungeon doesn't yet seem to be supported. I don't know. Maybe that's coming later. That's prequel. Pretty cool. <laughs> um, so you have your party of four. You go down in there, and you you assemble your party in order from from right to left. So like the rightmost party member is the front line. The fourth party member is the farthest from the enemies. And this is actually a really cool thing that turns a very normal turn-based style RPG combat where it's like one character takes a turn, another character takes a turn, and like your four characters and the four AI characters all just take turns depending on their characters, depending on the speed of each individual character, which typically like I they don't... They take turn depending on the speed of each character? So, each so it's, it's not like your guys all go, then their guys all go. It's just any of the eight goes depending on like how fast... They are. You see what I mean? Like in terms of like, I I don't know the exact stat that does it, but it's like, 
Right, they have a stat that they determines each recharge in a number of how many. Like, oh like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I was trying yeah, to express. Is like I'm not communicating this each, well at all. Each attack or each move is a turn, and sometimes a character takes eight other characters' turns before they get to come back. Yeah, that would be again. really extreme if it were eight. But right, yeah, but, but okay, yeah, uh-huh. four, two, sure, whatever it is. I don't really yeah. know. It's probably some. Probably a lot of them are multiples, and they they end up sort of rounding. You yeah, know, but or, I'm sorry, decimals, and they end up rounding. But anyway, the thing that's cool about this is that it makes a very like kind of old formula that I don't find that interesting anymore, which is this sort of like Final Fantasy style yep. back and forth combat. Right, but because the spatial alignment matters. Yes, yeah. exactly. Because each each character in the game is like more is more effective in certain positions rather than other and certain attacks that can only target like certain um positions in the enemy lineup. So for example, a character with a certain ranged attack might only be able to target the last the like third and fourth position on the right. enemy side but he'll hit both of them at the same time or another attack might be able to hit any of the four but only one of them at a time and by hovering over the ability that you're mm-hmm. about to use you can see like how many characters will it hit which ones is it sort of what is the probability or like just yeah then each one has its own stats right in right. terms of yeah. like accuracy modifier damage mo- modifier all that stuff that's really cool it's that's actually really like, cool. it's just yeah it's so fun a drill down on and sort of good version of that that's mm-hmm. really nice definitely and um as you're playing the game, you're like in real time going left and right from these rooms to rooms. You basically have a top-down map, and if you're at a room with a, a joint, so let's say a given room has a doorway north and a doorway east, you click on the map to say, I want to go to the north room or I want to go to the east room. Right. And then you just go, no matter what direction you're going, it's always just left to right, right. until you get there. And then along the way, there will be traps or enemies or you'll find um, – treasure or whatever and like so that that's that's one thing it's like the basic interaction Mm -hmm. in the game the other thing that makes it fucking brutal but also makes it even more unique is this like sanity system which like whenever someone says sanity system you think of like the game is hacking itself there's a there's a fly on the screen (laughs) but it's off are is the character insane or are you the player insane Uh, that's probably the character but in this game like your keyboard oozes blood for real it's when it's like real your monitor sort of like starts cracking it's like really impressive how they did it uh so anyway you've gone through three computers playing darkest dungeon due to insanity (laughs) effects totally worth it because Um, you were insane and destroyed your computer (laughs) (laughs) i would that is actually a more plausible Outcomes. The insanity effect actually just actually means just being in that a, you smash the computer right, on like, the ground. This. Um, <laughs> so it it is one of those games where you can end up in a just total failure spiral because as your characters take damage, um, or like especially heavy damage, or as things happen in the world that are psychologically unsettling, each individual character has their own stress meter that goes from zero to a hundred. And the higher it gets, the more likely they are to develop like psychological afflictions or phobias or quirks or what do those things do? Is it like attack teammates or can't attack? Yeah, like, like, there's like, one that's is... like a really common one if you're getting really stressed is paranoia, mm-hmm. where you like won't accept healing from a given teammate because you think they're out to get you. Nice. Um, or like you you won't do the attack that you're supposed to do, or like and then there's some that are just like belligerent. It's not called that, but it's effectively it's that where like the characters will like yell out insults to other characters in their party um i don't know what what the gameplay effects of all of them are because there, there are a lot right. but um but it's it's really effective at making you feel totally screwed like it's because well, yeah, you just have just everyone is fucked basically yeah. and and the thing is yeah. the 
once this starts happening, it starts self-perpetuating because characters that are freaked out will freak out other characters near them. Uh, and so if you, and also you have this torch that is like illuminating the space around you and just the farther you go, the, the lower the torch light will get. Right. And if you don't have more torches with you to like replace, to sort of replenish the light, um, your character, like the enemies will get more dangerous. The rewards will increase, but your characters will become stressed more easily and like fight worse, I guess. Um, and it just, it ends up becoming extremely stressful also to you, the player, as your characters are getting stressed because you know that once, once this starts happening, it's like a disaster. Um, is this an endless game? I don't know. That's a good question. It goes week by week. So every week there's a, there's a, um, there's an expedition and also, wait, sorry, like literally every week on the calendar, like the Spelunky daily. No, 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 I'm sorry. Just in in game time. Like, okay. Just a week is, yeah, sorry. A week is just the meta unit of time. So like when you complete a quest or abandon a quest, because it's it's next week, it's like, yeah, that's been a week. And then back in town, you can unlock buildings that your characters can, um, like be stationed in to recover their stress. Right. Uh, which include things like the tavern and the abbey and the sanatorium and stuff. But like some characters will refuse to do certain things. So like a religious character will like refuse to go to the brothel or like get a drink at the tavern and like you'll have but to But they'll go to the abbey. Yeah, but they'll go to pray in the abbey. But like but also in the abbey there's like a flagellation zone. And like some <laughs> characters will like refuse to do anything other than like flagellate themselves to get unstressed. And oh, it's this man. fucked up thing where you put a character in there and they're like, yes, yeah, the blood. And you're like, okay, guy. <laughs> Go do that. Enjoy that for a week. Just stop insulting your friends. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's a thing. It, it's a game. It's a kind of game where it's like very simple to interact with, but there's a lot going on just kind of all over the place. And then on top of that, there's this sort of D and D like pen and paper campaign esque, just storytelling mm-hmm. where just the omniscient narrator will just say things, you know, in sort of a gravelly voice. And the, the whole introduction, the introduction to the game is done with this kind of semi animated 2d flats of this big, bold style. And it's a call really, me 2d flats, <laughs> 2d, uh, brother, uh, brothers, uh, 2d consomme. Yes. No, that doesn't make any sense. No, this cousin, uh, <laughs> Cousins share first names, as we know. Well, it's a family name. It goes back, you know, it goes back generations. There have been a lot of tooties in this family. Mm-hmm. So the uh, the opening cutscene is this like really boldly animated um, thing that reminds me of the intro, sort of like a way more hyper animated version. Okay, if you took like the the introduction to a, like a '90s cartoon show like gargoyles or Darkwing duck and then sort of like <laughs> right, okay. ha- combined it with the tone of like tales from the crypt or like, are you afraid of the dark or something? That's basically <laughs> like what this is the animation, like production quality of that level. No, it's like the, it's like the modern thing now where it is like, 2D flats that are really highly detailed, okay, but yeah. then they only animate on certain pivot points. It's more points sort of like, like it's, it's just a lot, of translation a lot of articulation. And like, yeah, exactly, and not right. like yeah, actual key animated. frame animated. No, yeah. it's not at all. Not key okay. frame animated as well. Um, and the soundtrack is part of partly why it reminds me of that because the the music has is like that kind of like creepy, cool, like creepy kids yeah, I don't rock. Darkwing Duck that, was the best pull, but maybe it was. I, I only mean in terms of just like a high, yeah. quick like um do you remember the do you remember the the end credit theme to are you afraid of the dark yeah i do <laughs> like, i yeah. love the end credits blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's kind of like the genre of music where is the, the good <laughs> like where is the good 
cover of the Are You Afraid of the Dark closing credits theme. Like, how has a band oh, man, not just right. owned that? Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, Idle Fuzz 200 really theme is just Oh, no. Art. Now you're setting a precedent. That you're setting a bar that I will never hope to to reach. That's true. Man. Our next theme. A few years ago, I, for some reason, became re-obsessed with the Are You Afraid of the Dark closing <laughs> credits theme. <laughs> Like I had a bookmark to the YouTube video of like someone found an extended version of it. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I went and listened to it last night because I was trying to my my the reason I had to throw in the like Darkwing Duck gargoyles kind of intro comparison is because when I because my memory of the actual introductions to Are You Afraid of the Dark and Tales from the Crypt was way more intense than what the actual introductions Are You Afraid of the Dark are. is just like a heartbeat and then a swing with some fog. Right. But in my memory, well, they were kid, like way like more intense than like crazy. crazy. Yeah, but they're yeah, like really actually kind of slow. Um, and so I'm, but, you but know, then you're like, Oh, what I remember is. Fuck. Yeah. My life is ruined now because God, that show freaked me the fuck out as a kid. And then then it's over. And it's. Yeah. Oof. Oh, man. That was like a, a schoolyard. I don't know, because you're, you're a few years older than I am. Was that still yeah, like, a thing? Snick seasons, like the first few seasons of Snick was a big deal. Still, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. for sure. I remember kids I, in elementary school. This, this would probably be harder to do in the age of the internet. Although maybe, I don't know, maybe as a kid, that's not, that's not true. I remember a common thing at my elementary school, and maybe other, probably other ones too, would be kids would basically see something like that. Would, would see those stories on a show like Are You Afraid of the Dark? And then would basically just like steal the story and try to pass it off as like a thing that they heard from a friend or like that happened. My friend got <laughs> stuck in a mall that turned into a giant pinball machine. Yeah, yeah. It was like before the age, like seriously, I remember an age before you like know, like, that's an extreme one, but like <laughs> more the ones where just like a weird thing happens to a, I can't. Probably is I can't remember well enough the individual stories to like give you a good example. It's basically safe to assume that once a week a mall turned into a huge pinball machine. <laughs> I just remember kids like finding those stories, or maybe from like Goosebumps books or whatever, and like doing just the weird thing where the memory of the thing sort of turns into the story you tell all the time, and then you kind of just appropriate it. Except it was with these just like totally ridiculous like R.L. Stein stories or like Nickelodeon show things. Oh, here's Sean. Hi guys. Hey, hey Sean. What are you talking about? Oh, we're talking about Are You Afraid of the Dark? Oh, fucking seriously? Yeah. We're ta- yeah, that is what we're talking about. We're mostly talking about Snick. Yeah, yeah, we're, ta- yeah. we're talking about we're talking about early early era Snick. We were mostly talking about the closing credits theme to Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, and uh, about that wah, episode. Wah, 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 yeah, we're obsessed wah. with it. We were also talking about the episode when uh, the mall turns into a giant pinball machine. I don't remember that. I don't remember that one either. I could st- uh, hope that's Are You Afraid of the Dark. I don't know. Could you see one of those goosebumps you read? I never read Goosebumps. Oh, you were I read, Stein, I read some Goosebumps. Uh, teen slasher books. I didn't read any of that stuff. Fear Street. You're a Fear, Fear Street kid? <laughs> I think Fear Street would have been too late for Jake. Oh, really? Oh, man. I like started, I to, learn about, I started to learn about like heavy petting because of Fear Street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember what series. Of, like, I think the, the last like series of books that a kid read that I remember reading was My Teacher is a Space Alien. Oh, I never, oh, I never yeah, read those. Yeah, I read those when I was in elementary school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. Hi, we're, guys. We're t- hey, hey, Sean. Sean how's it going? This episode is brought to you by R.L. Stein. We got those. Oh, we got those ads already done. God, if only, if only this episode had been brought to us by R.L. Stein. <laughs> Call us, R.L., please. R.L. Stein is still around. And did you guys see this thing he did several months ago where he, like, told a ton of, like, horror story tweets? Where he just he posted, like... Wait, he's posting Twitter chillers? 
Yeah, Arl Stein is basically posting Twitter chillers, yes. <gasps> Interesting. Except think- they weren't that good. That was what was a bummer about it, is I'm like, oh, these are actually just kind of lame. Goosebumps was probably also kind of lame, but like in my memory, it was really scary. Hashtag tweet bumps. Do you think with the advent of internet acronyms, if R.L. Stein is approached at a convention and somebody goes, oh my gosh, are you R.L. Stein? He goes, yes, I R.L. Hey, you guys want to take a break? <laughs> yeah, it's been good having you on the podcast, Sean. It's been great. <laughs> Video game. Chris, do you love web pages on the internet? I love them. I make them. I look at them. I... That's the two main things that one does. What you do, yeah. I ignore some of them. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually because they're like ugly or they don't work well or they're crappy on my phone. They don't have awesome goods to procure. Mm-hmm. Those yeah. are all reasons I might ignore a website. Right. But if a website was made with Squarespace, a really uh, just the an all-in-one, easy-to-use platform for making websites that look nice are responsive and let you do things mm-hmm. like post things you've made, sell mm-hmm. things, set up a thing for your business or a blog or something, then you, you'd probably look at it. I would, I would almost certainly look at it. Yeah, yeah. I would not ignore it. You in fact, as someone it, you who, it. as someone who makes websites, uh, it's a good, it's a good, it's a I good. I would call service. Squarespace. It's a good. Um, you can make a store in it. You can make a blog in it. You can make a portfolio in it. Just a, you can make a single page website if you just have some information that you want to convey. Just slam a big GIF up there. Mm-hmm. You could do that. Um, what should I? How should I find out about this, Chris? Go to squarespace.com and use the promo code thumbs at checkout and you, Jake, Me? or yeah, or anyone else. Or you at home. will get 10% off your first order. That's a great deal on the internet. I know. Thanks, Squarespace. Thanks, Squarespace. Video game. Chris. Jake. Do you like eating pineapples? I love it. Do you like eating like spicy, kind of savory cashews? I that love have that. like some sort of chili thing on them. Do even, you like like a wasabi? Do you like a wasabi pea? Oh, this is what I love the most. Okay, what if there was a company that put bags full of those <laughs> into your home and you could just eat the shit out of them all the time? I would do that, and in fact, I have. So you you know of NatureBox. The uh, sponsor of this week's episode of Idle Thumbs. I know of it and love it and frequently consume their bags. Yeah. No. I mean, I don't consume the bags. <laughs> I don't know if I would They're say They're probably it. biodegradable or something, maybe. I don't know. But, but, the, but you shouldn't eat them. But yeah, no. Nature With Box. Inside of them, great. It's a uh, snack subscription service. They've got a billion and one snacks. They're all really tasty. If you go to naturebox.com slash thumbs, you can uh, get a sampler pack for just two bucks shipping Otherwise, completely free. You pick out one full-size snack, and then they send you some small, like, samplers that you can taste with your tongue. They're good. Mm-hmm. Eat Get those pineapple slices. You can also put them in a rum drink. They're good. Eat them. Or or observe them near your drink. NatureBox. <laughs> NatureBox.com slash thumbs. Yep. Thanks, NatureBox. Video game. Oh, fuck. I played, like, 20 minutes of the order. <laughs> Okay. No, I mean, I don't know. It's not like interesting new territory. <laughs> Have you seen it? I've only seen little clips of it, and it looks like the most expensive video game I've ever seen. It's fucking incredible how good it looks. All the shit you've seen is all just running in real time. Yeah, I know. It's none of that fucking like Nathan Drake is in a bank right now. He'll be back in two seconds stuff. It's like <laughs> I like the, that's like sorry that Nathan Drake's at a bank right now. He'll be back. Can you hold? You know what I mean, though. Yeah, that's, yeah. It's awesome for those games. It makes the loading. I mean, it's we've talked about that before. Yeah, 
Um, no, it's just real, but then it's just bad. The thing that I think is probably interesting about the order, if it really like the order seems like it's from a technological standpoint, it's the game that has, that's just doing everything that everyone talks about doing from an like expensive production standpoint, sort of like when the guy moves, every single thing on him is going to move. He's going to have all these layers of clothing that have uh, like crazy image based lighting and his, his hands will do all these insane interactions. And then the fact that the game is not well received and is just not good is interesting because what it actually probably means is that in the next two years the games industry is going to pick the order for parts. Yeah, like this yeah, is yeah, the yeah. game. This is this is the game that like the order seems like it's the game that, like technical artists and the Palos of the world are just going to go. How do they? How, how, this is amazing. How did you? I see. Okay. If somebody made a good game, like just a confession, say a good game. If somebody made a compelling game that had the like just sort of the moment to moment fidelity and attention to detail of the order it would be that's it we're all fucked but, <laughs> like no, that's but it. i don't know if anyone will you just gotta see the opening it's gonna fucking blow your mind but that's a cover shooter the one other thing i would say is the world being so so detailed mm-hmm. and not just in its render fidelity but in the creative choices that it's made <coughs> when it's as like Oh no! The Bedlamites are breaking out of the asylum, and somebody throws you a fucking railgun, right? <laughs> and you're just like poof, poof, shooting crazy people in the head. Yeah, Jesus. you're like, it's just way worse. You know what I mean? Because if everything just went from like for the first twenty minutes, you're escaping a dungeon, and just yeah, between escape to cutscene, escape to cutscene, and you're like, this is real. Like, wow, this looks like a movie. And then when it's like, kill the Bedlamites, escaping the asylum, you're like. <laughs> no i yeah. refuse every, it, it just amplifies every like time, the fidelity of everything comes up every time the graphics in games get better the game that has you do that first at that level always actually just gives me a complete panic attack like going all the way back to like battlefield whatever did that yeah, for me Turok on the n64 you arrow guy in the neck and he goes <laughs> and grabs his neck and falls over he, even though his like his hands are just like cubes the fact that there was like that animation of a guy yeah. like grabbing his throat and falling over and then like soldier of fortune when you so shoot off a fucking fortune, arm yeah. in soldier of fortune I'm like that guy's i just oh like you just go oh god you're you just like i have a sympathetic reaction to watching that happen and but then like you kind of get used to it it sort of starts looking like a representative thing and not real and then the next gen comes out and it, all that it does is just makes yeah. me go over but like you know so th- we've, this is the new one. But yeah, Soldier of Fortune and then Soldier of Fortune 2 were the, just like, <sighs> I sh- shotgun the guy and everything bad happened. Do we have to do an opening? <laughs> this hmm? is Idle Thumbs 199. We, we, no, we did it. Yeah. And I'm Sean Vanneman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're back. Oh, are we back? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You should listen to the first half of the podcast when Chris I started to and it was really good. You guys are good when I'm not on it. <laughs> <laughs> that just really confused me. Yeah, I was going to walk in and compare the game. It was it was Kerbal meets Blast Core. <laughs> Blast core. Yeah, I love blast right, core. I'll take I'll take blast core as, a, yeah. as an ex, extra element. Blast yeah. core N sixty four. Yeah, yeah. What other blast core is there? Was that DMA the, design or my thing? No, I'm thinking blast of core a, is no. rare, isn't it? Yeah, no, yeah. I was thinking of a totally different thing. I was thinking of the that. rare heyday. I can't remember what it was called. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I loved the when the N sixty four came out. Like wave race and blast core just was along was alongside pilot wings, and I was too young to have not too young but i miss pilot wings for the super nes yeah so to me like pilot wings wave race and blast core were just insta franchises from the past like i knew that there was a pilot wings game so i just assumed that there had been a wave race game that i didn't know about and i right. assumed there was a blast core game i didn't know about nope nope just one-offs that felt like real substantial things very yeah. good 
And season four launch lineup. Strong. Pretty good, actually. I got a VHS tape I can show you. <laughs> <laughs> but all the good ones. I, no, Besiege, it's like, I just want to keep playing it. Because mm-hmm. it's hard. It's so hard, yeah. It's so hard. What I is mean, the most successful thing you've made in Besiege so far? On any metric beautiful, of like Beautiful, hilarious failures. Like, Anything. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had... <laughs> <laughs> I had um uh I built what I thought was going to be an airplane. Mm-hmm. And then it couldn't take off. So but I had armor all around the front of it and I had a cannon on top of it on a wooden pedestal. This is like early, early, early yeah. on in the game. This is just me learning how everything worked and like how intense everything was. Like this is my Kerbal moment of realizing this shit was real. Is hitting play, all these arrows light up my thing, but they bounce off some of my armor. I hit kaboom on the cannon and it just flies off backwards. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, and then I tried to move forward, but I realized I still had air- the airplane wings were just like pointing me upwards. So I inched, 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 inched up, fo- up forwards to the guys who were lighting, who were hitting me with arrows, and hit and turned on the flamethrower that I had attached. And because like my airfoils had pointed my thing completely up, like lit a few dudes on fire. And I was like, "All right, success, <laughs> success." Yeah. Yeah. That seems like yeah. basically what that game is. Yeah, yeah, for most people, right? except for the it's, internet. Uh, for, for the, uh, ah, yeah, for, just, for any one individual person, that is besieged. But yeah. somehow for the internet. Besiege right. is yep. actually God, that is so true. That is the classic bait and switch of any game that basically involves actual creativity and craft. Like Little Big Planet know, is a great example. Yeah, yeah. And any game that actually requires you as the player to make things out of nothing. I mean out of building blocks, but like conceptually out of nothing. Right. Where the game isn't like guiding you. The those are the games with the that is where the fucking gulf is between like your excitement about the gifs you just saw on like imager and the reality of your sad like deflated balloon experiment that like farts out of that's probably why I minecraft actually, does well as yeah yeah minecraft minecraft is really good at if straddling. you're like if you're like i'm gonna build a sick skyscraper that has a swimming pool in the back and there's like a subway station that takes you to somewhere and then it's there's just like, time and then there's like a guy like a statue of me. The statue of you will be the shitty part because you have to actually know what a human form <laughs> yeah. looks like, but everything else you can actually make. Yeah, you just do it. Yeah. I like this game more than Kerbal. Oh, but really? I, I appreciate... Mm, how should I say this? As if the games are over there at arm's length for me... Kerbal. Kerbal. If I am playing them, this game. Yeah, I can, I can understand yeah, that. Yeah, because like, I can get the sort of feedback loop of success and failure. Right. You'll watch someone have a majestic space flight where they orbit through I will watch the Idle Thumbs Twitch stream VOD of you get <laughs> Brecken and Chris playing Kerbal yeah. forever. Like, awesome. <coughs> but in terms of, like, getting there myself... But you'll no. rip a cannon off and then have set some guys on fire and stuff. Yeah, but I, I did that and I instantly just wished that, like, I was playing with somebody else in the room. Like, that I wasn't alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 And You, that, could, you yeah. could stream it. I may. I should have. It would have taken two seconds for me to just open XSplit yeah. and hit play. That shit's all set up on my home computer. Yeah. Maybe next time I will. Okay. Um, yeah. Cool. But uh, it's like six bucks because it's an early... A- oh, that was the thing I was going to talk about. This is like... It's so duh, but it, it dr- drives me crazy that the in, like that developers at large don't understand the difference between early access, like give us money and play test the game 
Um, and I'm not pointing out any game here. I'm definitely not actually pointing towards um, Soren's game, Offworld Trading Company. Um, versus early access at six bucks. And then as this game, I guarantee you this game is going to like have a $20 price tag on it. This is the point. Minecraft model like yeah. verbatim where it's like, yeah. this, is a, this is a build something from nothing game. Get in early on the cheap version of it. And yep, it'll get cooler. And it'll cooler get cooler and, cooler and it'll cost more. Like, and it just is, feels like so genuine. It feels like a product where like, or a game where somebody built all the systems and made it work. And then they got the art to a place they thought was really cool, which is exactly what Kerbal was. Right. And went, Oh, we think this is good. Like, this is fun. That's true. Kerbal. I think, yeah, you're right. It was on on a model like this. It's exactly well. like Kerbal. Yeah. It's just, it was so Kerbal was so much less all encompassing when it first went on sale. It was, and now it's huge. And it was way harder. It was way more, yeah, um, it was way harder too. like, yeah, it's almost impossible to penetrate. It'll be unlike, interesting to see how far they're planning to take besiege, especially now that it seems like it's got, like some groundswell under it, but it's people- been living in the top twenty of Steam. For yeah, because once you weeks. get once you get those like Reddit gifs and those like YouTube's of crazy right. things. But like, I mean, as the developers you, now, are yeah. they like okay? Now we have to make pneumatic pistons. We have to make ball. Like, are they are they, they have like some of that stuff? Pistons are in there. I guess. Yeah, yeah that's gears, true. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know. But I mean, like, what? Yeah, what's the next level? Are you the going? Thing to be that's able to, really good about development you know, like that when you put something up at early access where it has, it feels like the price of the game reflects. The amount of game you're getting, and it feels like the person who put the game on Steam is very in tune with the value of the entire situation of the product. Right. You know, it's like we thought this was fun already and worth selling, but we know it's not done, so we're not selling it for the full amount. Well, this is also this is a case where, um, to your point about the sort of distinction between what the kinds of things people often end up selling on, on early access, this kind of game and definitely Kerbal falls into this as well. And and Minecraft also, these are games where the feedback that you get is actually like extraordinarily meaningful. I don't mean the feedback that people tell you. I mean, like just looking what's the crazy shit people end up using in their YouTube videos. Like, like that was sort of what I was saying is that the developers reaction to the insane level that people are pushing this game. I hope informs like, yeah, I mean, the thing that I actually hope for is that we can. just get way bigger gears and way bigger wheels for stuff. <laughs> so people can just build way more outrageous right. stuff. Yeah. You know, like just, yeah. I just want, mm-hmm. the, as the community does crazier stuff, I hope that as they're working on the game, they kind of can adapt yeah. their scope mm-hmm. to, to, and, to, and that's ch- the kind like, of thing that is like, Almost impossible, like, basically my, impossible Minecraft, to evaluate internally. Yes, because yeah, what you have like, to be like what a, twenty thousand people end up on aggr- in aggregate doing is so much different and like more yeah. informative than like. But like I remember in, in the early days of Minecraft when, when, when people were sort of building simple logic circuits and like hijacking yeah. things to allow minecarts to go automatically. Oh, then. Yeah. Then Notch and Mojang were like, okay, actually, we're going to build simple logic programming into the right. game. I remember the we're going to build boost brick stuff changed a lot. Yeah, we're going to build like rails that can be electrified and boosted through power sources. And it was yeah. all in response to the fact that community was extending the game through exploits and through sort of pushing the systems to its limits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was a really exciting time to be playing Minecraft. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. If- yeah, the thing for me, like- it's like this seems like choosing to put this game on early access the way they did and all the like choices they've already made about the game. Is one of those things where I feel really stoked to have bought it for six bucks because I have all this trust in this developer. It's like you've already made like a thousand really good choices, <laughs> you know, like yeah, right. like even just from design and the ch- and your business choice. So like 
just do whatever the fuck you want. Like, yeah. I don't want a list of promises. I don't want yeah, a list right. of features yeah, that yeah. you like. Right. Just, I just want to keep, keep seeing it sort you of do grow. What You, you yeah. do what you're going to do and I'll be surprised by it. You know, that's mm-hmm, how totally. I generally feel. Yeah, it's a good feeling. Yeah. Reader mail from readers? Yeah, let's do reader mail from you, mm-hmm. the readers. Uh, Shane. Oh, I thought I was going to say Sean. Sean Vanneman says, <laughs> if you have a question, please uh, write us at questions at idlethumbs.net. Yeah. We, I love when people write stuff and like, it sort of mm-hmm. ebbs and flows, but like, please write us stuff. We, we read all of it. Oh yeah. Sometimes we get a lot and sometimes we, we get a lot less. I feel like lately it's been a little bit more thin. So just mm-hmm. write us weird shit. Mm-hmm. Write us, write there us is, questions. There is nothing better than a articulate and surprising and eight, eight sec, eight sentence, right. two paragraph question email. Yeah. That makes us all go, huh? Mm-hmm. It's the best. What does so, it make us do? Huh? So this is a very, no, this no. Is a very like much this week. practical <laughs> question. Shane uh, Trewartha writes, hey, Thumbs. So I don't know if this counts as a question. More asking you for advice. Oh. I've been working in the game industry in one way or another for close to a decade now, and I live in Australia. I have done my whole life, currently Melbourne. This makes it pretty difficult and expensive to visit GDC. I've been to GDC once in 2012. On that occasion, I was starting my own business um, with the intent of networking. Okay, blah, blah, blah. Um, that whole venture has gone south, and I'm not in that mindset anymore. But I find myself with a rare opportunity to attend, to attend GDC again this year. My question is: What would you recommend to <laughs> someone? Book your flight. <laughs> someone, <laughs> what would you recommend to someone from overseas who rarely gets to attend GDC, but has no specific agenda there? I'm not there to strike up deals or put the hard sell on people. I just want to soak up the wonder and energy of the week as efficiently and memorably as possible. Um, if you have so here's a bonus question oh, oh bonus question shit i was going to answer that one but let's, let's do you guys have any stats on how many of the episode titles are quoted from each one of you i'd be curious to see what the ratio oh. are potentially also adjusted for percentage of episodes actually including each cast member anyway i love the cast i've been a weekly listener since about episode four or five it would it would make my decade if i ran into any of you at gdc cheers and thanks for the best entertainment on the internet shane to Arthur melbourne well there's gonna like a whole five years left in this decade so unless you're going from 05 to 15 and then I just want to hold out hope that, like, I, yeah. seeing me like get mustard on my shirt <laughs> from a fucking ham duet is the high point of your of your ten years. Yeah, for GDC, I think um, if you have a pass to actually go to the conference talks, which not everyone does, but if you do, it's expensive. It is expensive. If you, four figures expensive. If you are in a situation where you have paid hundreds of dollars or the over, early access is like a thousand. Yeah, right? you paid over a thousand dollars. But if that is the situation. Um, the easiest route for me to an enjoyable GDC is just go to the design track. Don't yeah, go design to- track is by far the most general interest. Yeah. yeah. And you, you like, it's, it's not like, that's also like you get like cheesy design rockstar panel stuff, mm-hmm. but that's usually not the most interesting stuff. It's just like, look at the design track, look for things that sound interesting or look for people who have worked on games that you have played and enjoyed. Um, a lot of the other tracks are way more technical, so if you're interested in that, that's great. But if you just want to hear people's crazy personal sort of theories or ideas behind why they made the decisions that they made inside of their games, you'll get a lot of that out of the, out of the design tracks. And more recently, classic postmortems yeah, have shown up, which are that. really cool. Yeah. Those are a great balance of kind of just pure entertainment and actually useful, interesting knowledge that you can apply to your own work. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I would say that extends even beyond games specifically and into just sort of creative work generally. Yeah, hearing people, hearing people who made like an amazing 
landmark game 20 years ago come in sometimes by accident yeah or that game wasn't landmark but they are now a landmark person like bungling bay for instance oh yeah like oh, yeah, will wright did one on what is it what is the right right on, on bungling bay, bay which, which was a very successful game but it's not like we're not talking about it but it was the story of how, it was a hit at the time and right, no one remembers right. it yeah right. it was but that talk was sort of the talk of the creation of that game and how making all the ai simulation elements in it became more interesting than the game so it turned into him making sim city even yeah. though he was, it was a more way more classic like f- like top down combat yeah it was like a top down shoot 'em up basically yeah mm-hmm. yeah man that but like, with with like with a fully enemy simulated army enemy that, like, simulated constructing factories and shit like, yeah. why would you need to do that anyway that that eventually became the seat of sim city yeah it that was an amazing look into like how you can sort of figure out what is not just cool about the thing you're making but what's actually like personally interesting to you yeah. and like having the self-awareness peter molyneux's talk that. about populace was also oh that was so good fascinating and i think was probably that gdc talk probably is what birthed 22 cans which is now depressing to think yeah about. you're probably right actually can i interrupt this answer to, and can we just like very quickly and if i go too long oh yeah because the forums me, yeah i, I want to talk yeah. about the peter molyneux stuff we talked about last week and about how right we were <laughs> without question everyone else no whatever no sorry no um, i want to really make it clear that like I do not mean to come off as because I am not. So you're a Peter Molyneux Peter apologist, one hundred percent. No, I really don't want to create that impression. I and I also don't think that people should only softball game developers. I think that's ridiculous. I think the notion. I think the notion of like being on team game developer and being annoyed when any game developer takes any shit for anything is garbage. And like, I totally don't support that. Like, I want to make it really clear that the the only things I was to actually meant to object to last week was the like what i saw as a counterproductively badgering tone yeah uh, in in that peter mullen interview that that's that's it i think we may have drilled down into that so far that we probably came off as overly defensive yeah we're talking about that one specific thing i'm absolutely not saying that people should just like excuse bad things or or that like or that peter molyneux is for some reason like immune to immune that criticism. to criticism yeah. or to be free of blame. <laughs> no, yeah. like no, that yes. like that is just the obviousness of the reality that we live in says that that is not the case. All I want to say is, like, all I want to say is, let off on fucking Molyneux. He's a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's he's just like oh, Peter. Peter he's so nice. <laughs> anyway, Chris, thanks for clarifying yeah. that because I really thought that you were a Peter Molyneux apologist. <laughs> By which you mean you think Peter Molyneux should apologize? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Or populist. No, populist is a populist. Apologist, a populist. Oh my god! Fuck off! I'm a populist. Populist. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) I pop pop. Populist too. Robot news. Sean has malfunctioned. Robot news. That fucking squid. That's not robot news at all. That's anti-robot <laughs> I news. I know. Squids are octopuses. God are all about made the that. best robots. Squids. It's <laughs> octopuses. Octopus. Sorry. Fuck squids. God. Yeah. Fuck a squid. Yeah. Needs a, who, fuck a squid. Who needs a beak when you can escape from a cage and steal a fish, then go back to your cage? <laughs> That's like a classic octopus move, though. Yeah. Like aqua- there, I, there's there are multiple reports I believe at this point of aquariums that are like our fish just keep dying and disappearing <laughs> in the night. I don't know what's up. 
Anyway, let's says, up, says Octopus why getting fatter. By the way, why right. didn't they just put a camera there and find out? And that's what and ends that's up what happening. Is okay, it's like, yeah, right. why are fish being burgled from our... Oh, an octopus is sneaking out of the top of its tank, <laughs> crawling through like the ceiling work, <laughs> oh, dropping no. down, oh, no. stealing a fucking fish. Slithering over a churro well, stand and getting... What was the... What was the actual, I don't even remember what the octopus was going after in that video. It was a crab, oh, right? Crab. Yeah, yeah. The octopus comes out of a tide and pool. And just like envelops a crab. Goes, yeah, a crab is like running away from octopus. Yeah, A crab the size of a football. Yeah. The octopus says, you're mine now, I'm the in the air. Like, no, 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 uh, okay. Okay. Well, that one, and that one wasn't surveillance video, that was just a person at the beach. Yeah. Was yeah. filming a funny crab walking around, and she was freaked out when this, like, <laughs> the thing was <laughs> reclaimed. <laughs> Sorry, you're filming that crab? Uh, no. <laughs> the thing that's amazing about that video, and you think about how smart an octopus is, and how dexterous they are with <laughs> all eight of, eight, all eight of their bits, yeah. is that Crabs, if you were to go like get a crab out of the out of like the the live bin at the market, they're quick. Like their little pincers will fucking get crabs you. Crabs have moves. They for will sure. get you fast. Like they are like you're coming at me, boom, got you. Yeah, but then you, that, but then you're octopus like octopus takes that well, crab back into the tide pool and both of its pincers like can't get the octopus. <laughs> He's eight things to grab, and the octopus well, is like, so smart and quick that it's able to capture it, bring it back, and without being We get like, all stoked about how an opposable thumb allows us to grasp and like defeat all other creatures. Fuck that. An octopus <laughs> is like it opposed it's like a, a, opposed against yeah, what opposable tech te- Yeah, te- like it's just like I am only just variable poses. I have no joints. I have I I don't have to like my other fingers are also opposable and there are eight of them. This crab is mine now. None shall oppose me. Do you have any more reader mail? <laughs> we need it. We never really answered bad. that question about the titles. We do not have stats about wh- which of us is most frequently quoted to create the episode title. But that seems like the kind of thing that could theoretically be like it would be tough to mine because you'd have to that, really you'd yeah have to you'd really, have to actually go really back and find the. Episode I will say this though: my favorite episode titles are usually the ones that are not actually a quote, but are just a weird yeah, thematic echo of the episode. I, I agree. I agree. Like, um, <clears throat> man. Was good, it war, good luck with that. War of the Broses is oh, like War of the Broses is such a good episode yeah. title name, and that was not in. Was the Great Gatling Gunsby? No, that was the, that, that was, was a reader suggested like, one. That one, was, that one was really submission. strong. Um, so anyway, Chris Welch writes. We hey, can talk about more. Okay, when we, episode two hundred is when we can reminisce right. about our favorite. <laughs> oh, I have one. I have my favorite my favorite episode title for sure, and it was left on the cutting room floor. Huh? Yeah. What was it? You're gonna we're gonna spoil this episode two hundred content? Yeah, who cares? I mean, we we've we've. We've we've long talked about but ghost in the shell. Oh, but ghost in the shell is the one. Oh, is the one my favorite shell, one. Yeah, yeah. but ghost in the shell talking about ghost in the shell and Ian Bagos in the same episode, yeah, and then oh, not what calling a disaster it, because what a we called waste. it a silken Goku. Yeah, I'm also totally uh, silken Goku is not bad. <laughs> I'm not saying it's 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 you know Ian Ghost in the shell or whatever. I'm just saying Ghost in the shell. I'm just saying that it's not bad. Silken Goku is a perfectly yeah. good episode title. Uh, okay. I can't wait till episode 200 gets recorded and erased accidentally like 150. That's going to be really exciting. <laughs> <Fuck off. laughs> Chris Welch writes, Hey, Thumbs, I picked up a Wii U having never owned a Nintendo console before. Yeah. I've been making my way through Captain Toad's Treasure Tracker. Fuck, I haven't played that yet. I own it. The platformers I picked up growing up, Pash- uh, Crash Bandicoot, Spyro, Croc, Croc, all had at least a vague sense of progression. <gasps> wait a minute, Chris. Is this going to be a segue into Gex? Oh, my God. It wasn't going to be, but it's fucking going to be now. Uh <laughs> I had a vague sense of progression and escalation, and when things got tough, the story, however thin, drew you forward. Captain Toad is very different. The framing narrative is super weird. One of the Toads gets... 
One of the toad gets kidnapped by a bird. You play a bunch of levels, force feed the bird a turnip, and the credits roll. After that, you are sent back to the start screen, and Captain Toad 2 appears as a new game option. The same opening cutscene takes place. You go through a couple of levels, encountering the same bosses and cutscene with minor cosmetic changes, and the credits roll again. We're currently through three quarters of the way through Captain Toad 3, and while the game is fantastic, the lack of even a basic through line is driving me bonkers. I have no idea where I am, how challenged I should feel, and I know the ending already because I've seen it twice. From the what is this game? From this is the being John Malkovich of games. This is from my, the sound this is my of it, favorite Nintendo mode. When Nintendo goes into this mode, right? I know what you mean. Creativity. Yeah. This Where is it my just fa- ends up becoming like a Dadaist. It's like, basically like they're just like, well, they justify it by being like, well, we did make Super Mario Brothers too. Then it, when Nintendo does right. this, it's, <laughs> it's basically Dada meets consumerism. It's like what happens when Nintendo goes into this mode where it's like they use all these tropes of like entertainment profitable product. But then they attach it to this just like weird sensibility. Right, where you're just like, like, I'm playing Captain Toad 35, and I have fed this bird 35 turnips. Right. Yeah, exactly. Or so I anticipate after the 34th that I it fed it. It used to just be one continuous game, but right before it went out the door, somebody played uh, Desert Golf. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and Miyamoto sent it back. <laughs> Guys, wait. Um, so from the sound of this, the latest Mario games have a similar structure. What? Uh, can you think of why these games no, are they don't. like this? The latest Has Mario this... games just have a world map and, and a cutscene at the beginning and the end. Sometimes at the beginning, end, it's like, you're a Luigi now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's true. You do get yeah, Luigi you get at the end. get Super Luigi Quest or whatever. Has this structure existed in previous Nintendo platforms or platformers, or is it a recent trend? Cheers, Chris. I, I think the notion of beating a Nintendo game then getting the second quest that is effectively the same game, but with new challenges inside of it, like mm-hmm. that goes back to Zelda 1. And having That's that true, be yeah. like tertiary to any sort of through thread of of story or yeah anything like that and yeah. then like like you, like you said that the the new a lot of the new mario games have a main storyline that you beat and then you get luigi but it doesn't then have the exact same cutscenes and stuff but there's always just a little crumb <laughs> a little crumb of weird even in the most like so like mario 64 very literal <laughs> game you go into these magical paintings whatever you're in the castle it all makes sense but there's still like when you get out all the stars, you meet Yoshi on the roof. Like, why is Yoshi on the roof? <laughs> right. <laughs> if you, like, do the crazy quad jump wall hack, you can get to him before that. You know, like, yeah. why is Yoshi on the roof? He's there because that was the place to put him. When exactly they were like, right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, there's always it, just a crumb well, of, like, it does, it, the, well, that's a choice. <laughs> yeah, but the thing that's different, the thing that Nintendo has sort of started to indulge in that I guess was the, has been the case in maybe the Super Mario RPGs, but not really any other of them until, you know, the last several years, I would say, is the combination of those just like arbitrary development choices that just happen when you're making a like not super representative game um, with like well, they concretize it and make it say, like seem narratively important even if there's no narrative that goes along with it there's like a way to treat those choices that is just arbitrary which goes back to super mario brothers where it's like these things are here because they're here and i know that there's the fucking instruction manual about how you're destroying the statues there's a bullet with muscle arms right exactly it's all just like made up and it's whatever 1930s there's like a very difference between that and things like what the reader is describing or in a number of other modern nintendo games where it it feels like you're supposed to interpret these things as authorial choices instead of as 
arbitrary realities of some whimsical world. Right. Yeah, it, or it, like tertiary weirdness. Yeah. The they, fact they, that the arbitrary and the tertiary have been like codified as a style in this game yeah. mm-hmm. is pretty fucking good. Yeah. It, it, feel, it feels <laughs> like the way that you do a new game plus when you're done, you're like, oh, you yeah, know, we got the stuff we lay, we just had it laying around so we threw it in. But also put a Pixar level cutscene in front of it and write six <laughs> hours of orchestral music for it. Right, yeah. Yep. Nintendo on the Wii U. Like, <laughs> That's exactly correct. Yes. Yeah. It's, yes. It, like, it has the sort of throwaway nature that a lot like throwaway creative kind of bent that a lot of modern indie games have but never slipping a second from the production values yeah. of a triple a nintendo game which is, is a weird it, combination it is cool in a lot of ways though it, it is cool no it's cool because oh, it's a unique this aesthetic makes me want like some phd to write a thesis on like post on like basically nintendo's 30 years of video game style in these modes of operation through a lens of like postmodern mm-hmm. Japanese created Western facing right. entertainment media. Yeah, right. I would be curious to see because I'm sure you could draw. I'm sh- I'm certain right. that there would be like cultural touchstones in in Japanese pop culture or culture yeah. that I am well, I thought, just not I thought aware you were going to propose that you look at these games entirely from like a death of the author standpoint, where you just don't address intent and are just like, what is the work saying? I think yeah. you could you could do well, either. you have you to do either. you have to to some extent. Because but but of, you could but you could write a paper about the like cultural forces that have allowed for the existence of that. Yeah, right. Well, what's I mean, so good is there's like what like the codified what is a Mario game? Like what is codified what is a Mario? So I would say that probably all of this is bullshit compared to the groundbreaking lore of Gex classic. <laughs> classic 90s i figured if i talked about mario long enough we wouldn't end up on this might be this might be bad and if it's bad i'll just take it out of the podcast because i haven't read it yet but someone told us i forget who maybe it might have been ollie or no it was ollie yeah it was ollie told us to read the backstory to gex so i'm gonna do that so do you guys remember gex i had gex as a i had gex as a as a kid and i i had it on pc and did i talk about this last week i can't remember only a little bit yeah yeah, I had it, and it was a it was a platforming game, and I could sort of intuit that it was kind of like almost an off brand platformer as compared to something like Mario. But I still like in the you know I also had Jazz Jackrabbit and like games like that. Um, but I still loved them, and I thought they were like super fun, even though they were this kind of weird PC take on like a mascot platformer. Um, and I didn't even know until recently that Gex was ever a console game. I only played it on my computer. Gex was on PlayStation as well. So anyway. Gex is a is a lizard of some kind, a gecko. Imagine the Geico gecko. Yeah, but like with sunglasses, probably. Yeah. As I recall, if the, the gecko. Oh yeah, Gex was like a sassy nineties. Yeah. Animal. Yeah. If like the gecko. gecko I think he has like James I think he has Bond. a leather vest as part of his costume. That no, he's might, like no, naked. He's, naked. he's a naked gecko oh. with glasses. So Gex and his family live in Maui, Hawaii. Hmm. His mother raised him and his three younger siblings while their father worked for NASA. What <laughs> the fuck? Gex- Gex's hobbies include spending time with friends, surfing, playing the ukulele, and throwing poi parties. One day, Gex's mother gets a phone call from NASA explaining that Gex's father and 10 human volunteers died when their rocket exploded on the launch pad. According to the manual, the explosion was caused by a band-aid floating in one of the fuel tanks. So, like... In this in this cartoon animal game, ten human beings died on a launch pad because of a wacky gag. And Gex's lither, lizard father, when the patriarch was exploded, soon the Gecko family's carefree life is shattered. When Gex bottles up his emotions and takes refuge in front of the television to get over the tragedy, only to become obsessed. Three weeks later, he becomes addicted to TV. 
After several unsuccessful attempts to get Gex to stop watching TV and consulting with a minister and friends at work, Gex's mother decides it is time for a change. The Gecko family moves to Encino, California. Gex's TV is taken away and he flees from home. After several months of living on the streets, Gex inherits an enormous amount of money. What? He moves back to Maui to live in a mansion and buys the world's largest TV. Well, well what is... Well, what? Just the idea of... I mean, fuck. If I moved from Hawaii to the valley and they took my TV away, I'd run away too. Yeah, no you would then, after living on the street, you come into a lot of money and get a mansion to buy a huge TV. Is this, okay, sorry. Is this all in the manual for Gex? Or is this, I'm not sure. Is this story content in the yeah, game? I think this is like is assembled. Like level from- three, Encino. Oh, this is like the story of Gex's life over multiple Gex games? Well, and I think, and I think some of it's from the manual and some of it's from the game. Is this, okay. is, how heavily cited is this? I don't, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Um, while watching TV one day, Gex swallows a passing fly, not knowing it is a miniature transmitter. Moments later, a huge hand shoots out of the screen and grabs Gex by his neck, pulling the young gecko into his own TV. The cold claw belongs to Rez, the overlord of the media dimension, who intends to make Gex his new mascot and conquer the world. Gex traverses through the world's media dimension based on different genres. The Cemetery, horror films, New Toonland, animation... Jungle Isle, adventure films. Okay, this is just a video game. Kung Fuville, martial arts films. Gex is teleported back to his home in Maui and looks back. His last words in the game are, Hey, cool, I wonder what's on HBO. That's the story of Gex. I don't know what to think about it or say about it. I don't either. I'm confused. I have no context by which to digest that. (laughs) So I'm really happy that the only proper nouns in this entire story are Gex, NASA, Encino, California, <laughs> Maui, and HBO. And HBO. <laughs> also, Rez, the overlord Rez, of the yeah, media sorry. I was trying to think of now, like real-world yeah, proper right. nouns. Sorry. Yeah, yep. <laughs> so, okay, now that we've versed you on this lore, it's worth pointing out, a lot of people might know this, but um, apparently any and all comers can now pitch a Gex game to Square Enix, the owners of the Gex IP. Just so if you if you if if that sounded like fertile ground to you, um, Square actually has like a community <clears throat> open pitch center now, and if the thing that you make is appealing, apparently this is so. Hold on. The sorry, I read a, a oh for a ten percent licensing fee. What are we talking about? Sorry, Gex Two involves wait ten percent of what? They'll just you get ten percent of the gross. I think they take ten percent. I don't really know. Well, I make the game. <clears throat> you have to make a Gex game. Oh, the world of Gex is. When's is, Firewatch done? We should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gex, Gex origins. Invo- the story of his dad involves Gex like us being hired by like the CIA or the FBI or something. Yeah, I remember to, that one to assassinate Rez. And then hide his body with Jimmy Hoffa and Spuds McKenzie. Incredible. That like 90s dog in sunglasses. Yeah, I don't understand this at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. I feel like we're more than done with Gex. Also, Rez is Gex's father <laughs> somehow. Two of us. What? <laughs> okay, I, Chris, we have to stop. We have to stop okay. talking about Gex. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Where see. do you go from there? Well, thanks. Is that Chris who wrote us in? That, that, no. uh, that was Chris Welch, yes. Yeah. Oh, actually, I think we got to go. Sorry. Oh. The studio is needed for oh, other, man, we really have to go. For yeah, other people. True. Anyway. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening to this strange 
encounter. Episode one ninety nine came in the middle of Firewatch Crunch. Episode two hundred will be a gallant affair that you will want to share with one and all, and you should do that. Yeah, you could recommend us to a friend. You could give us a rating <laughs> on iTunes. I sorry, I didn't know if that was a TNT oh, or what. Tossing yeah, sorry, I didn't. I, I dropped the ball on that. Uh, our website is idlethumbs.net slash idlethumbs. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at idlethumbs, on Facebook at facebook.com slash idlethumbs. We have a store. We sell some stuff on it at store.idlethumbs.net. I don't know. There's some stuff on there, I guess. If you're interested in other podcasts by friends who we've kept out of this room by recording for too long, you really should check out Video Games Hot Dog and the Kingdom of Loving podcast. They share this room with us, and um, this episode was hogging their recording time so go check out that podcast and <laughs> you would do you'd be doing us a huge favor by going to their incredible arcade game uh convention called ZapCon. it's gonna be held in the phoenix area april 18th and 19th april 18th and 19th it's really awesome tell Zapcon. zach uh that you heard about an idle thumbs and then give him a big hug and tell him i say hi then give him a big punch and say that was from idle thumbs and then give him a hug again. Yeah. To make Say sorry for the punch. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Tell him the punch was from Peter Molyneux. Zapcon. It's the best. <laughs> <laughs> he seems like a pacifist. I don't think he'd ever hit anybody. Mm-hmm.